All right. Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, for everybody that's listening or watching on YouTube, thank you for joining us. And if you enjoy this podcast, um, I have a huge, huge favor. Please share this with anyone you think uh, would love and enjoy this podcast as much as you do. Uh, find it informative. Uh, that really helps us. And if you do enjoy it, subscribe. You can subscribe on Apple uh, Podcasts or our YouTube channel, which is just Apex Vaulting. And along with all the podcast episodes, we also have a bunch of drill tutorials on there. Um, you know, you can look for all the drill progressions that we use at Apex. And uh, yeah, so subscribe, share those videos as well. Um, also, if you do enjoy uh, our content, you want to see more content, um, you can follow us on Instagram at The Real Apex Vaulting. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook, just Apex Vaulting. If you have any comments or questions or you need help with something, please feel free. Emails at apexvaulting at gmail.com. We'd love to help. Um, this is episode 113. Um, as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, we have a guest today, Robert Plum. Hey. Uh, he's, he's been on the podcast before. Uh, and we're going to talk about a bunch of different topics. Uh, but the first thing we're going to start off with, and it kind of leads to our overarching topic, um, is run-throughs. I know this year um, I've got some phone calls uh, from people who have run-through issues and um, you know, people struggle. They're, they don't understand like why, why are they running through? What can they do? Uh, and something I think is really, really important uh, to consider when you think about run-throughs. Your run-through issue, if you're experiencing one, didn't happen overnight. And to fix it, it's not going to be fixed overnight, you know? So if it took more than a day or practice to create a run-through issue, it's going to take more than a practice to solve it. Because I think one of the things that, I don't know, Rob, I don't know what you think. uh, And I know this is not just a Pobol community issue, but it definitely is an issue in the Pobol community, is I feel like people are looking for that magic bullet. They're looking for that immediate answer. And, and if somebody's struggling with run-throughs, it's like, I think they're always hoping that, oh, someone's going to have some kind of magic trick. Like maybe if I just skip into my run, or maybe if I get rid of the skip, or maybe if I move back or move up, or should, should I do evens? I've been doing odds, you know, vice versa. You know, like there's not going to be just a single magic trick. Um, I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? Um, I think a lot of the problems run through issues come up with is um, not necessarily poor coaching, but just uh, a coach leading. Well, I mean, before we get even into that, I'm saying okay. like, how do you feel about the fact that, I mean, what's your experience, whether it's with fellow athletes or coaches, whatever, like, do you feel like that's an issue in the pole? Like people just constantly think there's going to be a magic answer. Like if somebody oh, has an yeah. issue, we're going to fix it in one practice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's also, you know, you talked about like odds, even step, stuff like that. There's also like chalk or they'll get sticky, sticky spray or sticky tape and stuff like that. It's like, right. mo- it's, it's so many different things. It's like, Oh, I can't, I'm not gripping onto the pole. Right. Maybe that's why I'm running through or stuff, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's like when it comes down to it, it, comes down to either the athlete is not comfortable or they're not in the right position. Well, sure. Yeah. And, and uh, it kind of, you know, your comments remind me of this, uh, this Instagram post. I saw a powerlifter uh, post who now coaches powerlifting. And he says, you know, people will spend so much money on the singlet they powerlift in 
or they'll, you know, they'll, they'll try to get the right food, you know, Mm -hmm. the day of, you know, all this kind of stuff. And they're not focused on how to peak for the meat. Right. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Or they don't even know what weights they should be lifting at the meat. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing in the pole vault, right? Like people make sure they buy the brand new spikes and yeah, Mm -hmm. you start, you know, with the chalk and then the sticky spray and maybe you double wrap the tape or reverse tape it. So the sticky size. And it's like all these things that are kind of like, not really going to be a solution. Like, I think some of these things have their place. Right. But the thing is, that's not going to solve the problem. And it's also like a bandaid. So it's like, say, you know, you use chalk and then it helps you with that next jump or the next jump. Well, what happens when chalk isn't enough? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Cause it ends up becoming into a snowball effect. Well, I I also think that what people don't realize, and it definitely happens in the pole vault, just like anything else, there's like a placebo effect. Right. Right. So maybe, you know, we chalk up really good reverse tape and I promise the step is right. And I smack you in the back and I pump you up and yeah, yeah. And you take off once. That's cool. That took a lot of effort to get one takeoff. Right. So I want to share a famous run through story. Okay. So um, this is quite a few years ago. This is like pre COVID. Uh, there was some kid, I forget what state, but it wasn't New Jersey and it was somewhere far. Right. Um, there was this kid as a high school junior, I think he jumped like 15, nine, 16, something like that. You know, not bad. It's like pretty good for a high school junior. And he started having run through issues. Right. And I get a phone call from the dad where he's explaining that um, they've. <sighs> Sorry, I think there's some chalk in the air. <laughs> um, so the dad calls me. He wanted to reach out and see if it was possible. He had his son start doing uh, sports psychology sessions with this sports psychologist in Manhattan which Manhattan, about a half an hour from Apex. So he was wondering if it was possible to set up a session where his son could come in, the sports psychologist could meet him here and kind of do his sports psychology magic and poof, this kid's, this kid would stop running through. Right, right. So, you know, I always want to help people out. So like I made the arrangements, like whatever, you know, okay, we're going to do it. And this kid comes in and I actually had seen this kid jump before and I recognized him and, you know, I was like, you know, he was like warming up, getting ready for the sports psychologist, sports psychologist running late. And I was like, you know, do you want to start jumping? And he's like, sure. So I knew like from watching him prior, like I'd seen him the year before at like New Jersey beach vault and just watching him warm up very backside. Like he runs super backside and he doesn't know how to jump up. So, you know, we go through our running drills. I take him through a jumping drill off the runway and we start with short approach stuff. Like I, I think I did maybe ones or twos, definitely some threes They take off trying to like, just really get him to understand the takeoff. So he gets back to his five and he, you know, he starts blowing through poles and he's about to go on a 14, Right. And sports psychologist showed up at this point. So sports psychologist walks up to the kid, gets real close. And he's like, is this the pole that gives you trouble? And the kid nods his head. Yes. Sports psychologist takes him out of the club, takes two chairs out there. They sit out there for 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Now this kid just blew through the 14765, right? Right. They sit outside for 10 minutes talking, whatever the sports psychologist does. They come back inside, Rob, 
What do you think happened? Um, I'm going to guess he ran through. He ran through. I think it has less to do about psychology and more to do with physiology. Because <laughs> the kid took a 10-minute break. He got cold. Yeah, doing nothing. Yeah, and he didn't skip, warm up, nothing. And he ran through. He fell out, obviously. Yeah. Now, again, to go back to your prior comment, and, and we can kind of delve into it, I think a lot of times run-through issues come. Forget about if you run front side or backside. Forget about if you jump up or not. I think you have to build awareness in your athletes for the run and for takeoff. Like they have to be able to manipulate those skills. Like I think the pole run, the plant and takeoff are skills in the pole bowl. And athletes need to be able to control those skills. I think when people just run down as hard as they can and they're, and it's like foggy, like if you ask your athlete afterwards, like let's say they take a jump and I'm like, Hey, did you feel that you went short, short on that, the last two sets? Or did you feel long, short? If you have an athlete that's jumping pretty high, like let's say a high school girl jumping 12, a high school boy jumping 15. And like, no, I didn't feel that. I think to me that right away is a problem. And, and you're probably going to start to have some run through issues. I mean, what, what do you think? Um, I mean, I definitely think that's definitely a problem if they're not being able to feel uh, certain parts of the mm -hmm. jump. Um, and definitely it becomes, I mean, because we're talking about run throughs, we're not necessarily right. talking about like dangerous jumps. No, 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 just run throughs. Like, yeah, this is someone not taking off, right? Not taking off. It's like if they're not feeling like they're putting themselves in a position where they're going short, short and making them be out necessarily at take. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's like that's gonna end up causing if they can't feel that, then there's no way they can manipulate it. And well, they, they can't, can't change it exactly, exactly. Right, right. Well, even like you bringing up like making yourself out, like. So I, I think a lot of uh, coaches and athletes have heard like, oh, you made yourself under or you made right. yourself out, yeah. right? Like, well, you know, if you're overstriding down the runway, you don't feel that, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Then also on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes people get excited. They come out really small and choppy. It's all stride frequency. And then, like you said, they're too far out. That's going to lead to a run through. Right. But if you can't feel that stuff, how, how are you ever going to change that? Right. I mean, there's some you used to always talk about uh, the levels of like competency and whatnot. Right, right, right. So like when you're mm -hmm. a beginner and you're just learning a new skill, right? You need to have you have you need to have an outside source source tell you what is what is right, what is wrong, because you have no perception for what is right and what is wrong. Right. So I think you bring up a good point. I think let's say again, this is a hypothetical. You have an athlete that's starting to have run through issues. You have to almost backtrack. And again, this is not going to be a one practice thing. This is not going to be a one week thing. Those run throughs probably developed and festered over a span of months, I would assume. At now, least. and I think, you know, again, you talk about band aid or quick fixes. Mm -hmm. What do most people do? All right, let's just grip down. All right, let's just go down a pole. And sure, that's fine. Right. The athlete might be more likely to take off on a smaller pole, smaller grip but you maybe still have not addressed the issue. Maybe like, like we just described before, maybe the athlete, when they get excited to meet, they come out really short stride and they're too far out and that creates a run through. Well, it doesn't matter. You can put them down a grip, down a pole. You can put them down a, a you know, three grips and down three poles and they're still going to run through if they end up short striding. it. So the first thing that you have to do, like you said, to build competency, right? 
that person doesn't know what's right or wrong. Right. So you need to make clear lines like, okay, this is good. This is bad. However you want to coach. Cause I know there's some people that don't even want their athletes to jump up and whatever. There's all different philosophies out there, but you have to be like, this is good. This is bad. Clear. So like at apex, we'd be like, okay, you came out really small first step, not good, bigger first step. Mm-hmm. And you have to reward that when they do it properly. And you need to remind them when they do it wrong, you have to be really on top of them because you're trying to build awareness. Cause like you said, at that beginning stage, right. The athlete is not even aware of what's happening. You have to make them aware of it. Right. Exactly. And that kind of leads into like, what would the next stage be is like, right. so the next stage would be there. They it, still might make the mistake. They might make the mistake, but they realize after the fact that they have right. made the mistake. So maybe they come out choppy, they run through and they're like, I came out choppy on that run. Yes. Right. And you have to reward them for understanding that they came out. Yes. Right. So again, trying to build a level of awareness and actually teach a skill to someone, Mm -hmm. right, is very important. And it's a slow process. That beginning stage, you have to clearly establish good, bad, make it binary, right? It's just like ones and zeros, right? right? It's like, this is good. This is bad. All right. You came out big first step. Awesome. Love it. Do that again. Even if they run through. Right, right, right. Okay. And then you can now more easily adjust the step too, because now they're getting more consistent with the first step. Now they run through, like you said, they're aware that, oh, shit, I came out small first step. That's okay. Great. You realize it. Let's fix it on the next one. Right. Then, like you said, then the next stage is you're aware of the mistakes that you can make and you can make adjustments. So maybe someone comes out with a small first step. So then they try to go bigger to fix it. Right. And then the final stage, they know what mistake they might make and they just make sure not to make it. They make sure they come out big first step and mastery over the skill, basically. Right. Which again, what we just described going through those four stages, right? That takes time. Someone who doesn't is not comes to you and is not aware of their first step and how it's messing up their their run down the runway. They're not going to be able to go through all four stages in a single practice. Never. It, it takes time, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And I even like the other day, I was coaching um, one of the athletes at the club. And I was like, man, patience is so important. Patience is so important. I mean, like there's so many times where I might be coaching somebody. I'm like, man, so-and-so is just not getting this drill. Right. But we just got to keep hammering it. And then eventually they get technical proficiency. Right. Well, and it's like you, you reward the small improvements and it's like, if they can incrementally understand what is giving them that small improvement, even if it's subconscious and even if it's like they're doing it and they get a result, they're result oriented. Well, once we get it to a certain point, if we can get a result oriented, then they can realize how they're getting that result. Well, that makes sense. Right. But I I would even say like, you know, I don't know how much you, you followed these kind of discussions, but it's like, you don't want to be uh, result oriented. You want, you right. want to be process driven. It's the process. Right. Right. And actually like, and you know, maybe you could speak on, on this, but like, I've always feel like one of your strong suits and why I felt like in your career, you've a little bit like overperformed, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? You're definitely not an underperformer um, is because you're so process driven and you are very meticulous. Like when we do drills, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like you are very patient to learn the skills. I right. mean, why, why is that? 
why am I very picky? Because I want to be better. I, and right, I, but I think everybody wants to be right, better. Come right. On, like, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I guess the big thing for me is, I don't know if it's just my personality and whatnot, but I feel like I'm closer to being a perfectionist than, okay. than most. Um, and I don't know. I feel like when I, when I learn something, I want to be able to learn it to its full extent, mm-hmm. I guess is, is yeah. the best way to put it. Right. So it's like when I do something like, say, for example, we're doing like a swing drill. Right. And it's like, you tell me, oh, the swing was a lot better on that one. And I'm, but, and I realized like, oh, I skipped takeoff and right. come out and be like, well, I skipped takeoff on that. Did I, or no. And you'd be like, well, yes, but you need to focus on this, that, and the other. Right. So we'll continually refine it. Right. And so yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is like the reason I made myself very process oriented is because I felt that was the best way for me to fully understand the skill that I was trying to mm-hmm. learn. Right. And because I feel like at first, I, I, I think when I first came in, I was very result oriented. Like you were like, you need to land deeper in the pit. And right. so when I was like, okay, I made myself land deeper and that worked. Does that make right. sense? So right. like I did it good enough where that, that worked. And then that was the good yeah. result. But then at some point you can force yourself to land deeper where it's like, you just throw, but your it's hand. the wrong it's way. It's the wrong way. It's exactly. the wrong way. Exactly. Right. Okay. So I, you know, cause this is kind of leading into a good point and I want to bring it back to run throughs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing is a lot of times as pole vault coaches, we can get away with giving like a result, like, Hey, I want you to land deeper in the pit. And the athlete does that, but they don't actually understand how. Right. 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 So it's like, you need to break the skill down more. And one, it's like, okay, you landed deeper, but did you do it the right way? Right. Were your hands in the right positions? Were you contracting the right muscles? Right. You know, the athlete has to start to become more and more aware of this stuff because the more aware the athlete is of the skill and how they accomplish the end result of that skill, the more control they have over it. Cause right. I, I feel like, okay, again, to bring it back to run throughs, let's say you run through. Yeah. Have you ever been worried that like the next time down, like, Oh, I'm going to run through again. M- me personally. No, I don't think I've ever had, but that. why can you explain why you're not worried? Cause it's like, okay. Also, just for every, because I know there's like the coaches out there like, you should never run through, never run through, always take it up. Uh, yeah, unless it's going to be dangerous, then you right. probably shouldn't take it up. Right. If I'm right. going to be like two feet out, like, yeah, like, for example, I remember I did something stupid one time at a meet where I just ran from the wrong spot. Like I went 10 feet back on, further on right, the runway. Right, right, right. And it was, completely, it was off. completely off and whatnot. And you I should just I, run I through. ran through. Yeah. You should and just I was just through. like, something's not right. Right. Because I mean, like you, a lot of sketchy things to happen. And I, I think also, again, developing the awareness of the skills, mm-hmm. you will know running down the runway, is this right or is this wrong? Right. You know right. what I mean? Um, but, but go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I cut you off. Like what, why? Why did you never feel that like a run through issue would start? I think the biggest thing is when, whenever I ran through, there was always a concrete answer that I got from you or from what I felt or whatever, mm-hmm. when I got to that point, but especially in the beginning, let's say right. when I, whenever I ran through, it was, you were like, it was either you need to take a bigger first step or it's like, or maybe even that's going to be fine. You need to like, you just need to jump up you right, know, and something like that. So it's like, 
I always had that confidence, I guess, from my coach. And every time that that happens, it always worked the second time. If I, if I made the appropriate change. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Because like you have to have a good, um, I'm not else to explain this, but you have to have a good feedback loop, right? Right. Like, listen, if you're a coach and you tell someone like, Hey, trust it, it's going to be good. And then it's not good. That's bad. That's really bad. That's a bad feedback. Because that, that, that makes, that makes the athlete just, whether it's conscious or unconscious, they say, Oh, just trust that you're going to be fine. Already they have doubt in their head. Right. Because like, yeah, the one time you said it was fine, I got rejected. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you don't like, unless you really know it's going to be fine, you really can't have an athlete do that. Right. Um, and you know, look over the years at apex, I think we have had people come here who did have run through issues. And I think you've got to start slowly. If you're someone listening to this and you're like, I have run through issues. Okay. I get it, Bronco. You're talking all this philosophy. Like, I need to become more aware of the skills. Where do I start? Where do I start? How do I become aware? Right. And I literally would start two steps from the box. Yep. You should do a one left or one right approach if you're a lefty, you know, and just first of all, develop however you want to jump up at apex. We talk about long, short jumping up, right? Develop that long, short jump up, move the pole. And that's super important. Move the pole, you know, which we're going to hold off on yeah, why that's important, but like you've got to develop that skill of moving the pole. So it's like, if you can start to jump up and move the pole from a one, you're feeling comfortable. All right, let's bring it back to a two. You could keep overhead carry. You don't even need to plant the pole. Do that from a two, do that from a three overhead carry. Start to develop that takeoff where you're like, yeah, I can feel the takeoff. I can feel that long short. I'm really jumping up the poles. You know, I'm jumping over the tip. It hits the middle of the box and slides in. Like the athlete needs to become aware of how that tip is hitting the box. Like as coaches, anybody who's coaching has listened, I'm sure you're like, oh, dude, you hit the back of the box. You got slammed. Right, right. If the athlete is looking at you and it doesn't look like they are conscious of that, that's a problem. Yeah. You need to be able to feel how the pole hits the box. Is it hitting the middle sliding in? Are we getting a nice click, click sound? Or are we getting thud, thud, thud? Right. That's not good. Well, and also like you need to develop like, like what do these words mean? Like, because yes. I feel like sometimes you say, oh, you hit the back of the box. It's like, well, aren't I supposed to hit the back of the box at some point? Like, do you see, Right, do you, you have to make sure the athletes understand what you're saying. Right, because like, it could either be because, you know, you're late or because you know, a plethora of reasons. But, right. but the point is you need to attach like a correction to what you're saying. Yeah, and you have to be descriptive. I think, you Especially know, in the beginning. At the, when right. you get a refined athlete and they know, like if, if Bronco at some point is like, oh, you poked at the back of the box, you hit the back of the box really hard. Uh, like a refine, like myself, I would be yeah. able to know. Oh, okay, I know what I did on that one. Right, yeah. right. If, yeah, if I'm like, hey, it's pokey, you know what I'm saying. Right. But the thing is, I even, I even think with you or, or anybody else that I've coached for a long time, I still try to be descriptive and explain mm -hmm. stuff and find different ways of explaining things. Because sometimes you just need the one way that they hadn't thought about it already, and then right, something uh, will some click. new nuance and something will click. Yeah. But, but again, going back to someone who's having run through issues, I think you got to start there. You got to start one left from the box, build that skill, get comfortable leaving the ground. Right. Um, I think also, you know, for the people who get ripped off the ground, like that's how they pull vault. You want to start developing 
a comfort with jumping before the pole hits the box. You know, I think that's an immense skill. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, eventually you can incorporate the plant from a two, you can do a low carry from a two, then, you know, plant from a three. Um, then you can start adding a swing, then full jumps, and then slowly pepper it back to fours and fives and eventually a full run. Mm-hmm. I think, again, the way I just described that sounds simple, but it's not easy. No, not easy. It's not Cause, easy. Because also you like what happens when like I go back to my three and I add the plant, but now I start, start running, running through. through. We're going to have to go back to ones, not in that session. Maybe, maybe that's the end of the session, but like next session, say, okay, we're going to have to do the ones. We're going to have to do overhead carry from the two, incorporate the low carry. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to hammer this low carry from the two. Once you feel comfortable with that, then go to a three and add the full carry, right? Like you're going to have to keep playing this game of back and forth, back and forth to get the athlete comfortable with the skills and give them the confidence that they can do it. Um, you know, and, and I think also you cannot be, so if you're the athlete, you cannot be so hard on yourself. If you have a practice that you run through a couple times, you have to start charting. It's like, am I running through less? Yeah. You have to, you have to worry about making progress rather than being perfect. Yes. Because mm-hmm. perfection is the, there's like a famous phrase that wow. perfection is going to say things that you don't know how to say. Um, <laughs> So I know what you're saying. Like yeah, perfection is like the, the, it's, it, it's the hindrance to hindrance progress, to progress or you know? something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you have to start to give yourself a pat on the back. It's like, okay, if you, you, let's say someone were to come to me and at this point, they're literally running through 80% of the time. Hey, if in two to four weeks, you're now running through 50% of the time. That's a huge improvement. Huge improvement. Huge improvement. Huge improvement. If you go to a meet and you used to like run through always on, I don't know, just to, for argument's sake, I'll run through the 14160. Well, now you blew through it and you ran through the 1465. Okay. That's better. That's better. That's better. Also, the first time that you, okay, maybe first attempt, you blow through the 1460. You run through the 1465, but you take it up the third attempt. That's a win too. You went up a pole in the meet. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's great. So you have to start to think about it like that. Are you making steady progress? But again, it boils down to teaching skill to an athlete. You cannot just spoon feed, like use the example of a swing drill. It's like just land deeper and the athlete somehow does it, but they don't know how they did it. And if we're being honest, there's coaches out there. They don't know how they did it. They just see that the athlete's going deeper. They're not really seeing like the, the biomechanics of it. Like what muscles did they contract? How did they end up doing that? Well, the same thing goes for the run. I think, you know, I, I think I've talked about this and there's a blog article on the website, but if your iPad coach needs to put that iPad down, I really, I can't say this enough. Like, that's great. You can have somebody record the videos. You can watch it after the jump. I I think even I would recommend after practice or after the meet and kind of game plan, you know, sometimes, sure, if you're caught between at a meet, you're like, oh, my God, like, should I go up a pole or up a grip? I'm not quite. Let me let me watch that video once again. Right. Okay, maybe. Right. But if you want to develop your coach's eye, you need to watch jumps live. You need to see stride frequency and stride length on the runway. 
And if you're iPadding, I'm telling you right now, you are not seeing it through the iPad the way you would see it live. I mean, there's a reason that people pay big money to see live concerts, right? Everybody has access to iTunes. You can buy every song in the world for about $1.99. I think it's the most expensive a song is. And then people have Spotify and stuff like that. And you listen to the songs for free, okay? (laughs) But people pay money to see live music for a reason. You need to watch the jumps live. There's a reason, okay? And if you want to develop your eye and help that that athlete with a run-through issue, you have to start to watch the entire run. How are they taking their first step? I also, in my opinion, this is my opinion. Got to catch the men. Uh, Wait, we're not even into the mid. (laughs) If you have athletes skipping into the run. So inconsistent. It is inconsistent. inconsistent. It is inconsistent. And now you might say, I I understand. Someone's going to bring up some professional pole vaulter that skips into their run and jumps super high. That's awesome. That's great. And, you know, they should do whatever the hell they want. But I'm speaking to people that have run-through issues right now. And if you have run-through issues... Skipping is going to make your run more inconsistent. Also, and I'll, I'll use an example. I had uh, an athlete years ago that I coached, Marley Sabatino. Um, she was pretty good. Jumped 12-6 as a high school sophomore. Would end up jumping 12-11 at Harvard. Um, but, you know, and at that time, I didn't, I didn't think it was a big deal. And Marley kind of had this skip into her run, slight skip. That's Okay. And she did fine. Now, whether her mid was on or a little out or a little under, she was still just crushing the poles, PRing left and right. But once we got to that 12-6 point, and now we're really starting to, you know, get close to like really high grips, really big pole for her. We're pushing limits. Okay. Now the run-through started. And that skip had a huge impact in her mid and takeoff, right? So let's say she needed to come down, hit like a 45 mid. If she skipped really hard, she'd hit a 43. Now she's too tight, pole is too big. If she skipped a little lighter, she might hit outside of 45 and run through. This is... This, this was only manageable when she was on smaller poles and grips right, and she would jump would around be, 12. Right. It was fine. Everything was fine. would work. Right. But that skip is what held her back. And ultimately, like, you know, and if Marley hears this, she knows this is not something that this is not like gossip. But like, I think that skip held her back. She could have jumped even higher and could have developed her run more. So I would definitely say if you have run through issues, you need to figure out how to get rid of that skip. Yeah, that is a crutch. You think it's helping you. It's not. It's actually holding you back. And this is why I'm saying, again, start from one left, slowly work your way back, develop that courage. Oh, see, I don't have to skip into my run. Never mind the fact that also as athletes um, age, and I'm not even talking about master's level. I'm just saying like, by the time you get into college, sometimes a lot, a lot, that skip is so hard on the Achilles. Mr. Physical Therapy, why, <laughs> why do people snap Achilles? What usually causes the Achilles to snap? What kind of movements? Like, are you talking about like dorsiflexion versus plantar flexion? No. Like what, what are people doing when they snap their Achilles usually? Like pushing off the ground? 
Like, what do you? Mm, I feel like you're not you're not picking up what um, I'm saying. So I I remember seeing a recent video and post like someone was doing those like sprint workouts mm-hmm. where you like off a hop you sprint and stuff like that, and it was literally off that rebound snap the Achilles goes. Interesting, because that like that rebound effect is really hard on the Achilles. And cer- certainly masters athletes can tell you about it. They'll, they will be forced to eliminate their skip because they literally, their Achilles can't handle it anymore. And so even, and again, I think before you get to master's level, I know I had a little bit of a skip into my run and it started bothering my Achilles. I had to do something about it. And I've had other athletes that had issues like that. Now, when it becomes a physical issue like that, you literally physically cannot do it anymore without pain. Interesting. People can get rid of their skip. Right. But now again, going back to run throughs, people start to talk about, Oh, well, like my skip, it feels good. And when I, I, I run faster, when I, I run faster, when I skip, yeah. um, you know, again, I think you're missing out on so much potential, right? Because if you could be more consistent on the runway, you will hit a more consistent mid, you'll hit a more consistent takeoff that will allow you to display your skill of takeoff better. And you, I, I think that alone will cut down on run throughs. hundred percent. I totally agree. I can't, but you didn't know about the, the Achilles, like the rebound. I, I've never heard of that. All right. He's still in school guys. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm still an undergrad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, <laughs> so, I mean, so, again, I think the run through issue, you have to deal with teaching the skill of takeoff. People have to understand and feel takeoff completely. And I think it's baby steps. You got to start with one left and slowly build back. And this is something that's going to take time. Your run-throughs weren't caused in a day. They're not going to be fixed in a day. day. Yeah. Um, So you've got to be patient. Now, going off of, you know, making people aware of skill, I I posted a tweet today. Um, Some people may have seen this. Uh, I said, being aware of pole speed is way more important than being aware of pole bend. A pole can bend a lot and you can still land short. If you feel the pole moving, you know for sure you are landing deep. Be more aware of pole speed. I continue in the caption when I repost on Instagram. I said, far too many vaulters have little to no feel for pole speed, but are hypersensitive on how much a pole does or does not bend. I've seen athletes that have standards at 80, right, all the way back, and bend the pole a lot, responding by saying the pole felt stiff. They wouldn't want to go up a pole. Vice versa, swing on a jump where the pole bent a lot but didn't move and almost got injured landing in the box. I've seen this happen. I think everybody has. Athletes that are conscious and aware of pole speed have a way better feel for when to swing or not swing and also are much better at going up poles. They focus on moving the pole and their swing rather than trying to just manipulate pole bend. For safer and more consistent jumping, have athletes develop awareness for pole speed. Um, How important do you think being aware of pole speed is for your jump? For me, I mean, it's it's what makes my jump, I feel like, why I'm very safe when I, when I'm jumping, I feel like a lot of times, Mm -hmm. because I feel like there are times where, you know, sometimes I don't hit the run right or whatever. And, 
It's like I have to end up just like kind of riding out the pole. Right. And you just, you don't swing. And, and I don't swing on. and you just yeah. hold on because like I can feel at takeoff that the pole's not going to move to vertical or it's not right. going to fully get to vertical. So I have to hold on make sure that I get into the pit. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so I guess to that aspect, it's important to making sure that my jump is not dangerous at all. Um, furthermore, it's like at a meet, it can be very useful if like you're aware of pole speed and say the pole's moving too fast and you're mm-hmm. like, you know, it's a lower bar. Like it's a, it's, you know, it's maybe your opening, opening bar, bar yeah. and you know, you don't want to blow through, have to, you know, go up a pole, then clear it. You want yeah, to, you don't want to leave it up to a next attempt, right? Yeah. You want to save attempts. It's like you can try to push, get off the, get off the pole. Yeah. Quicker. You could try to turn earlier. Clear. Yeah. And that way. And then still be able to clear the bar that way you can go maybe up a pole on the, and on the next jump at the next, next bar. bar. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, these are great points. I, I think being aware of pole speed, like you said, it definitely makes you safer. Cause you know, as soon as you're like leaving the ground, that tip hits the back of the box. box. Like, like at apex, so many times, People pull hits the back of the box and it's like you can tell they were out or they were too tight. Yeah, or something. yeah. And they just won't swing. And they just won't swing. They'll ride it into the pit and they'll right, and everything right. will be perfectly safe. Whereas if they were to swing, take a full jump, who like who knows what you what, might what, land in the box. Right. Right. So it definitely makes you safer. The other the other thing too, like you said, is if you're at an opening bar, some kind of lower bar, easy bar, if you feel the pole speed's really fast you can try to get to the turn earlier and get off the pole before you blow through and knock the crossbar off. So like you said, it could save you an attempt. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is all just from being aware of pole speed. Cause if you're aware of pole bend versus rather than the pole speed, it's like, if you, all you feel is pole bend, it's like, you feel the pole bends a lot. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're that the pole is moving. moving. Exactly. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to hit the bar on the way up. Cause if the pole is bending a lot, but you're not moving it and you try to get off the, pull early because you're gonna land shallow right you're not gonna get well, onto the bar the pit. right and so i i think the other thing too that people don't realize like a pole can sink right like let's say someone's a little bit out that pole mm-hmm. sinks so it bends a lot but it's not gonna quite get to vertical you know mm-hmm. and if an athlete swings in that situation it could be really sketchy mm-hmm. um I, I i think also i've been at meets where i see a pole bend a lot and it sinks and the athlete barely gets to the coach's box on the pit mm-hmm. and the athlete's like, Oh, I got to go up. That bent a lot. And I'm like, right. Oh no, oh no, don't do that. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that's rough. I think also on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, like I said, I've been in situations where an athlete jumps and the standards are pretty far back. Like they could be all the way back at, 80 or maybe they're at 70 right what is that like 28 or something like that or Or, uh 26 but like you know they're pretty far back and the athlete the pole bends plenty and they hit it on the way up i'm like all right we gotta go up pole and the person's like i felt kind of stiff what (laughs) i i guess i get i mean we saw you're not gonna clear the bar on this pole like right we need need to go up yeah this is how you play the game yeah this is how you play the game i mean i can't I can't explain this enough. Like, I mean, I, I remember one time someone asked me, like, well, couldn't the, the person have taken one more jump on that pole? I'm like, I mean, if they wanted to miss one more attempt. Yeah, it's like we had a third attempt. We're down to a third attempt. Yeah, we could take one more, but we already saw that that combo doesn't work. 
Right. Exactly. It's like, like what, it, what do you want them to do differently? Run faster? They're yeah. just going to blow through more. Right. Right. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, listen, I've heard people say they, they intentionally slow down on the runway. So the pole doesn't move as much, but this is a tough game to play. Guys. That, that is way harder to play than just go up a pole. Yes. <laughs> I, I think I want my athlete running as consistently as possible. I don't want them playing with their gas pedal. Right. Because then if they lower the gas pedal, talk about what if they lower, Yeah. Well, being, what if they lower the gas pedal too much? Or what if they, now they hit the gas pedal too hard? And that, now it's like, it's not just a thing of matching grip and pull to the athlete. Yeah. It's more now like, well, we got to match the gas pedal to the pole. And the, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think being aware of pole speed is amazing. And like, like we said about skill acquisition, mm-hmm. coaching the ball and talking about skill acquisition versus, you know, and this is, I, you know, something I keep harping on skill acquisition versus positions. Mm-hmm. You know, I want my athletes to have skills. I want them to have the skill of takeoff, have the skill of swing, have the, the skill of moving the pole with the swing right. rather than just hitting a position. Right. Because you can hit positions in full jumps that don't, uh, you know, where the pole's not getting to vertical. Right. Like I remember even before I came to Apex, there was mm-hmm. a time in high school where my high school coach was like, oh, look, you got all the way back. Like I hit that inverted position or whatever. And I missed the bar on that jump. And I'm just, but like at the time I was like, yes, I finally got fully inverted. inverted. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I still ended up missing the bar. It's like, so. Well, and and it's interesting, right? Like tonight we were even talking about it. Cause like you were at two lefts Mm -hmm. doing overhead carry full jump. And I was talking about the idea of like, listen, you have to move through the jump. Don't force an inversion. Right. I don't know that you're always going to hit a full invert. You know, especially from a two gripping right on a a straight pole. Yeah. On a straight Straight pole. Right. So it's like, sure. There are people like, uh, you know, for anybody who follows that tattooed Walter, Nick Homan, I mean, Nick is a stud. And I mean, like I've seen him literally get inverted from zero lefts. We do a zero drill, pull him the back of the box. You literally no run. And I've seen him get full invert. So some people are so athletically talented. They, they could, kind of hit those desirable positions you're that saying, everybody wants. I'm not as athletic as Nick uh, you might not be as athletic as Nick. Not, not quite. Know. Yeah. Not there's quite. not, there's not a lot of Nick Homans out there, <laughs> but, but what I, I I'm getting at is like, again, sometimes you teach a position and you don't realize like, well, should the athlete even be completely hitting that position? Right. You know, uh, it's, you know, I mean, kind of like talking about the bottom arm. Sure. You could try to have an athlete just hit a straight bottom arm. That being said, if we're talking about, you know, a five foot tall middle school kid or grammar school kid who weighs like a hundred pounds, I don't know if that's really the most important thing. I'd rather teach that, that kid how to jump, swing, move the pole, move the pole, right? That's an important skill. And how do you do that? And I, I think, you know, and you know, what I'm going to say, but it's like the bottom hand needs to get above the head. If it gets above the head, the athlete has leverage to move on the pole and move the pole itself. Um, If they just lock out that bottom arm, they're going to get blocky. We're not going to get pole speed, right? So you might get this ideal position, but now are you actually teaching 
the skill of moving the pole? Are you actually teaching a skill of takeoff or are you just hitting a position? I think the drive knee is a great example. It's another great a example. A drive knee is a byproduct of proper jumping mechanics, but it's a secondary level. Right. You know, you need to teach that long, short, that penultimate step. And we even see how many times right. we see uh, kids come through Apex that do jumping drills. And it's like when we do the jumping drill, it's like they jump, they have a straight drive knee, but they only get about or that. Not high. a straight drive knee. Or, uh, they, you know, they have tight, a tight drive knee. A tight drive yeah. knee. That's what I was looking for. And they only get about that high off the ground. Right. A couple inches. Yeah. Because they're not put, they're not pushing up through off the, ground. the ground. They're, they're not just, pushing off the ground. They're just yeah. lifting their drive knee up. Right. They squeeze the drive knee and they don't actually push off the ground. So, so what's more important in that scenario? Is it more important that right. you have a drive knee or is it more important that right. you're actually jumping up off the ground? Right. And so it's like talking about skill acquisition and having athletes master skill is way better than just trying to hit a position. Um, again, I, you know, to each their own, whatever anybody wants to do. But the thing I find too interesting is like, you know, people will certainly harp on, let's say, certain, you know, uh, positions off the ground. And some of these same people that will argue with me about some technical stuff off the ground, which, listen, I by mo no means am trying to tell anybody what they should be doing. If you have your system and you're doing your stuff, you keep doing that. I'm just trying to help anybody who has questions. And if they feel like their system isn't working or what they're doing is not a system, you know, but a lot of these people that want to argue with me, about stuff off the ground and they're pushing position, you know, Oh, you got to hit this position. You got to hit this position. I watch their athletes run down the runway and they're moving their hands during the pole run. They've got a low pole carry. Well, it seems like we've skipped some early dominoes, uh, in, in this, uh, in this system. Reaction. Yeah. You know, it's like, we got to start with pole carry run plant, then and take off. Then we can talk about stuff off the ground all you want. Right. Uh, but you got to set all those things up because everything leads into the next thing. It's like if you're right. pull run and your your carry is all off, it's like your plans right. off. And, and how are you going to hit? And, and just to be clarify, I am not talking about you know someone's first couple sessions of vault. No, I'm talking about like there's people posting athletes that clearly have vaulted for two three years. They're in high school. They're jumping decent bars and they're moving their hands on the pull carry. They got a low pull carry. So when did you want to introduce that skill? You know what right. I mean? Like, right. so I, I get it. First couple of sessions, mate, especially a young kid, maybe you keep it overhead carry, just keep it simple. But at some point you got to introduce these other skills. Um, and again, it's about the skill acquisition. You want the athletes to feel what is happening and you have to explain it. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how often we talk about what muscles to contract. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, how do you... <sighs> Can you explain that? Like, how has that become valuable to you? Or even like, listen, you coach at the club. Mm -hmm. How has that become valuable to you coaching wise? Do you see an impact with, uh, you know, explaining how to move to athletes, talking about the muscles versus just a picture? Uh, well, definitely for me as an athlete, I definitely feel like talking about like the muscles that we're contracting and whatnot has definitely given me a greater, um, you know, just like overall sense of what, what I'm doing, you know, whether it's a better any, understanding, a better understanding of the process at which I'm, uh, that I'm trying to complete. Cause mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, can you give us a concrete example? 
Yeah. So like, for example, in the, in the swing, we talk about at apex, we want to contract our lats to try right. to pull swing and mm-hmm. get ourselves deeper into the pit as well as, you know, yeah. pull on the pole and that accelerates the swing. So we talk about using our lats and it's important not to like kind of use our tricep and not right. push you don't, down. You don't want to push down. You don't want to block yourself right. out. Right. And it's like, you can become kind of outcome oriented in that regard, because when you push down, you end up having your hands on the left side of your body versus if you pull with your lats, your hands will be kind of in the middle yeah, of your body. Your hips will be in between your hands. Right. So you could kind of like, that's also something that you teach kids. Maybe they end up doing it the wrong way for the right reasons kind of thing where it's like, mm-hmm. you tell them, Oh, land with your hips between your hands. Right. It's like, maybe they don't, they don't do it right at first. They're just kind of pushing their hands there. Right. You don't want that. Yeah. Just push your, their hands, hands there, but they have to literally move properly. Right. Exactly. So that's, you know, kind of another example where you, once you get to that point, you can tell them now you need to contract your lats. And so you're, they're pulling their hips to their hands rather than just pushing. Their yeah. Hands and and I, I would even say it's very important too, when you're dealing with athletes, you don't know, like some athletes might not know what lats are. So you may have right, to say, Hey, to the muscles in your upper back, you mm-hmm. have to contract those, use those muscles. Mm-hmm. I think the other, like a secondary level that becomes important, let's say now you're going through drills and hey, that swing, that invert, not really that good. How many pull-ups can you do? Right. Very, very important. Oh, uh, okay. We need to strengthen your upper back. That right. is what's going to help you do better at this drill. Right. And then also jump higher. It's definitely helped me from a coaching. That's the biggest thing I've noticed from a coaching standpoint okay. of what helped me is like, I noticed when like, athletes are starting to do the right motion, but it seems like they kind of just like tape, taper off or like so something they gives stall it, out. Yeah. Something gives out. There's just not it, enough strength there. The lats aren't strong enough. And I, that's when I see like, Oh, you're doing the right thing. I feel like previously in my coaching, like I would be like, you need to keep pulling, like keep pulling past your, you know, hands, right. you know, something. Whereas now I'm like, okay, you're trying to do right, the right like, thing. You might be trying to tell an athlete, hey, you got to get full invert handstand, handstand push, push off, off the top. And you're like, right. dude, th- that kid might be able to do five push-ups and half a pull-up. Right. I don't know that that's going to happen. Right. Exa- exactly. So it's like it, previously I'd be like, yeah, you just keep pulling, get it, get fully inverted, like keep pulling, you can do it. Whereas now I'm like, I see they're trying to do the right thing. Right. We just need to get our pull-ups stronger. We need to do more high bars right. and stuff like that. Right. And, and I think that's, look, this is what's really important too in the pole vault community. Um, I think sometimes, you know, we get a great athlete that comes to the door and it's real easy. They're hitting, they're, they're getting grips and poles that, are going to make them very competitive. They're going to jump bars. They're going to make them competitive. And they could kind of, you know, weasel the way through certain positions. They might be strong enough. Strong enough to be able to, yeah. hit, you know. But it's like if we're trying to take it to the next level, well, now we need to add. Right. Right. We need to add. And, and, and look, I think everyone who's coming into a pole vaulting club or whether you're jumping at a high school or college for the coaches at the high school and college level, you know, your athletes want to make progress. Yeah. You need to have answers on how to make that progress. Right. Now, again, I think 
We have to have honest conversations with athletes and explain to them that you obviously are not going to PR two, three feet every single year. You will not make that kind of progress all the time. Yes, exactly. Uh, But progress is there. You could, you know, everybody can jump a few inches higher. Of course. Everybody can jump a few inches higher. So how are we going to get those few more inches? And if we get those few more inches, how do we get the next few inches and the next few inches, right? And so we start to build from there. And I think the physical component is definitely important. But when you're explaining the technique, again, Mm -hmm. to go back to your example, like if we're talking about the swing and like, hey, you got to really use your upper back as you swing and contract those lats. Well, even the athletes sometimes, I just feel like I'm not strong enough to do that. You know what? Let's take you through a a lifting progression, you know, and and we have progressions and regressions. For somebody who can't do pull-ups, we can start them off with TRX rows. We can do some uh, dumbbell rows. Then we can add band-assisted pull-ups, then pull-ups, then weighted pull-ups for the people who are at that level. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I I think that's really important, explaining the movements from a perspective of, like, what muscles do you engage? How do you use your body to even hit the desired position? Because it's not like at Apex we don't talk about positions. Like, we talk about the logo. Like, your swing should look like the logo, you know? Yeah, right. Um, it's like you're you're you should be able to get into a handstand. We you know we talk about stuff like that. It's not it's not that they're not brought up. It's just that they're used as like checkpoints on a roadmap. I right, is the best way to describe it. But the important thing is telling people what they need to do to get to those checkpoints. Right, exactly. We're we're trying to give them the GPS, and we're just giving them the checkpoints to see along right. the way. Like like recently. We've been starting to do these like modified rope drills. Yes. Do you, want, do you want to describe them? Yeah. So basically we have a rope hanging from a high bar and we're basically using, we were using it before uh, as a way to swing, but not everyone was physically capable of right, exactly. getting inverted on a rope. So they would like swing up from an L sit mm-hmm. um, on the rope, but okay, go ahead. Explain so, the, the new ones that we, we've yeah. Added. So the, so the newer, the newer ones that we've added have been kind of horizontal ones where yes. we're sitting back. We pull the rope taut. We're like sitting far, kind of farther away. So we're, we would be pulling ourselves forward. And right. what we're doing is we so like we're sitting on turf. Yep. Right arm straight, left elbow bent. Yep. And we and we're pulling with our upper back, pulling ourselves on the on the turf. turf. And we kind of you know we, we kind of go into an invert, invert but horizontally. horizontally exactly. So you start in a sit position and you slide forward onto your back, but you're using your upper back right. muscles to do to it. Pull yourself forward. And your right arm will stay straight the whole time. Yes. And like the thing is the athletes that let's say don't have the upper body strength to do a swing up invert on a rope. This is a really, really easy way for them to contract the right muscles. And you see almost immediate impact on their swing drills. Right. Cause you like, you start doing this as like, that's what you need to do on the pole. That's what you need to be feeling. And I know for me personally, like I remember when we first introduced this, I was like, wow, like yeah. the first one I took, I was like, wow, that's exactly what I felt on the rope drill. Yeah. Because I, we, we had always done the rope drills vertically and yeah. I, was, and whenever I did those, uh, like I felt it, but it sometimes people will force like leaning back and then try to use their upper back. And that's too late. Right. That's too late. You need to use your upper back in the beginning of the swing. Right. And look to contrast that mm-hmm. love to have your thoughts. I, I think that rope drill is very dynamic because 
you really have to use the right muscle groups. There's movement involved. And it's also very easy to coach because it's very easy to see if they start using their arms too early. If they Right. If they bend the elbows and they use a lot of biceps, very, especially the right arm, not good. Very, very easy to coach. Very easy to right. teach and very easy for the athlete to become aware right. of what they need to do. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. Me? But I'm sure you're familiar with what I'm about to describe. <laughs> Sometimes at pole vault camps, people will go to a pool and put a pole in the pool mm-hmm. and they have a hose at the top of the water and people will go, you know, full jump underwater. What's your, I mean, I, I have my thoughts. I want to know your thoughts. Compare that to the rope drill. What, what are, you know, maybe some pluses and minuses? So I guess pluses would be, it's a less resistive way to go through a yeah, full def- jump. Definitely easy. Definitely. Any, anybody can do anyone it. Anyone could do it, assuming you can, you know, hold your breath underwater and everything. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hold your breath. Don't. Yeah. Don't breathe in don't water. Swa- don't swallow the chlorine. Yeah. Water. yeah. Um, but in my opinion, it's not quite the same just because I feel like you can get away. One, you can get away with doing a lot of stuff wrong on a. Sure. Yeah. You can lean back a lot. Lean back a lot. You can. And again, can I stop for a second? Absolutely. And guys, I don't care what coach you talk to. Everybody said, don't lean back when you swing. Don't lean back when you swing. Yeah. Okay. Like you just said, in the pool, very under the water, very good. easy. And it's and it's almost very hard not to lean back. I feel I would feel I like. think also it would be tough to see. And, and that's the that was my next point is that from a coaching standpoint, it's very hard to coach if they're doing yeah. it right. One, there's one, it's underwater, so there's like glare and stuff like that. It's like sure, no. yeah. But yeah. two, it's like also how long does the coach have to hold their breath to watch this? Right, exactly. No, I'm kidding. I'm sure you can do a snorkel or something to figure that. <laughs> but but um but yeah, it's like it's not it's not easy to coach. It's very easy to mess up and do wrong. And I that's why I feel like I, I also think it's almost it's not challenging enough. Mm-hmm. That you might not even feel what muscles you're engaging, right? Because there's not be, enough tension. You know right, what I mean? You might you might not even feel it. That, you're you're like almost true. weightless, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, like in the rope drill that we described, again, it doesn't look exactly like pole vault, but you know, you got to hold that rope tight and yeah. you got to engage the lats. Um, and, and, you know, I, I I think there's value there. There has to be a little bit of a resistance. If I mean, look, if you're for. And listen, I'm sorry if you've never taught anybody how to teach, uh, you never taught somebody how to squat, but you should. And if you're a pole vault coach, you should know what a squat or deadlift or pull-ups or bench presses in some level. But like when you teach people how to squat, oftentimes a body weight squat is actually too difficult. If you actually, you give them some weight, maybe 20 pounds to hold, do a goblet squat, that's actually easier. easier. They, they can feel, you know what I mean? The resistance of the weight and feel the muscles they have to engage. That's right. an easier way to teach. And I think the same thing in the pole vault. It's like, I think we have some exercises that are a little bit too hard. And then it's like, then there's other ones that are maybe a little bit too easy. Like, like right. this example. Right. Like in another, I mean, another example, I guess of a, yeah. <laughs> I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, Let's not go there. Okay. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, again, I think all this goes back to trying to make the athletes aware of what they physically are doing. Cause I think also to go back to the tweet, you know, about being aware of pole bend versus pole speed and why being aware of pole speed is way better. You have a lot of athletes that are hyper aware of what the pole is doing 
And I don't know that they always know what their body is doing. Right. I think that's definitely true. I mean, hundred percent. The number one thing I think if you get nothing else from this podcast is like, you need to be able to teach your, your, uh, your athletes and athletes, you need to become aware of just being aware of like pole speed and like everything that and your, your body, body is doing yeah. in the jump. Right. If nothing else, that's the one thing I think you need to take away is like, you need to be develop awareness for the run, the plan, take off, jump up full speed. Right. All, and you have to learn how to prioritize what is most important to become aware of. Like, for example, going back to the run through problems is like, yes. if you, if the biggest problem for you is your first step is too small or too big or whatnot. Like that's got to be your number one priority. I got to focus on that. Yeah. Now, if your plant is always off, your plant is always too late or too early. Sure. That's what you need to focus on. Yeah. That's got to be your number one. That. Yeah. That's got to be your number and, one. And baby steps. And always, baby yeah, always steps. start small and then get bigger from there. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, bringing up those run throughs again. I think sometimes the issue that a lot of people have is like, they rush to get back to a full approach, whatever you yeah. consider a full approach, seven, eight, whatever. Four and one, I mean, I don't know that everybody is always ready for a full approach. Right. And then you're just going back to a full approach. The only reason these athletes sometimes are even getting on the poles they get on is pure speed. They don't have the technical proficiency of takeoff, of swing. They can't move the pole through the entire jump. Right. So it's like, once you eliminate the speed, this is why, I mean, I, I've literally seen people that can't take off from one left. I, uh, that's, that, that's unacceptable. If you're an athlete, if you're an athlete, you have to two steps, able. jump into the pit. First of all, do it without a pole. Yeah. If you have to take two steps, jump into the pit. If you can't, I don't know. Then you need to go in. Like I did a kid's camp, right? Mm -hmm. Every summer we do tornado track camp ages five to 12 you might have to go into the five-year-old group. Those kids can't jump into the pit on the runway. I have them jump onto the front one mm -hmm. on the side, right? But it's like, you have to be able to do that. Now all you gotta do is just hold onto a pole as you jump into the pit. You have to develop this skill. Because if you, the only way you even feel that you could take off is stride frequency. Again, not a good indicator, right? Your athletes need to be aware of stride length. Stride frequency, they could feel their feet moving real quick. They might be so choppy. They're really far out. Right. Not good. Right. They need to develop their, their awareness for stride length. Because stride length is way more important because you can, you can have the problem of being too small, like being choppy when you're yeah. only focusing on stride frequency, which is certainly more common, but you could also have the problem of being too long and overstriding with sure. Your sure. And with, you don't want to be too long. And you either. don't want to be exactly. So you stride length, focusing on stride length is way more important and is way more reliable as an indicator. Yeah. And, and certainly we could break down the run more. We could talk about different phases of, of, of running, mm -hmm. but you have to make your athletes aware of this skill. Running is a skill. Jumping is a skill, yep. right? I think something in pole vault we think is like skill, pole vault, or like skill, take off, swing, turn, right? Okay, but they have to run with a pole. They have to plant the pole. Then they have to jump with a pole in their hands. Right. You have to develop those skills. Those are skills. And I think the more you focus on that area, the less issues you'll have with run-throughs, I think the safer you'll vault. And I think you, the more consistently you'll vault.
you know, um, and you won't have to be going like, you know, balls to the wall all the time and going hundred percent. Right. And it's, it's important to be able to have, you know, days where it's, you're not going hundred percent that way you are able to get more jumps in. Yeah. More reps, because more reps because and drills. Yeah. When you get more drills and you get more reps in, it's just, you're building those neural pathways. You're able yeah, to, you're, you're building those skills more quickly. Yeah. You're able to learn things quicker. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you're only taking, you know, 10, let's say full jumps. And I'm going to end with this. I'm going to end with this. It's been a damn good show, <laughs> but like, I know there's people out there. They're like, Bronco, I hate drills. I don't need to do drills. I'm good. Or they think drills are five lefts. They are not. Five lefts to me are like the sweet spot. You could do plenty of five lefts. It's full jumps, but it's not going to tax you as much as a full approach. But it's not really a drill. Um, I'm going to give you an example. Basketball. If you are a basketball player, You do not just play full court basketball games. That is not how basketball practice works. They do drills. They have progressions. I mean, I remember listening to the video uh, uh, of the late Kobe Ryan talking, and he said in the summers, first of all, you wake up at three o'clock in the morning, practice, eat, practice, eat, practice, practice. He would get like five, six sessions a day. Guys, he is not playing full court basketball every session. It's just not possible. Right. No, he'd spend a lot of times probably just working. He probably may have practice sessions working out one move. Step, lean back, fade away. Step, lean back, fade away. Just keep just over and over and just drill it. And and like Rob said, not at 100%. He's not going all out like he's trying to hit the game winner in the NBA finals. No, just relax, smooth, nothing but net. Nothing but net. And just over, over, over. Why? How is pole ball any different? Why should it be any different? Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what. Hmm. Did somebody just recently win a world championship? Do you know his name? Didn't he? He jumped pretty high that day. He, he did jump pretty high. He jumped pretty high. Mondo Duplantis. Guys, this guy has been vaulting since he's been six years old. I don't know how many vaults he does. And listen, I'm sure somebody out there is going to, because I have no idea, to be honest. But like, I'm sure somebody out there is like, bro, he never runs from inside of this. I don't care. You know how many years of vaulting he's done from various lefts, various approaches? I mean, I remember when he was little, he might have been like 10 or 11 years old. He had some YouTube video where he literally mimicked like a bunch of professional vaulters. He mimicked like Scott Huffman. He did the Huffman roll. He did the Jason Colwick. He did everything. This kid is so conscious and aware yeah, think about of the skills in the pole vault that he could copy people. Black belt level. Yeah. Black belt level. Yeah. Think about the amount of awareness. Like if you yeah. like, because I know me, I don't even, I don't feel like I have the awareness to be able to like mimic other people's styles right. of vault. Right. Right. And whatnot, but yeah. to be able to do that, that's a next level type of awareness. Right. And right. World. And, and listen, this is why I think too, it was so funny. It was so funny. So when Mondo missed that one attempt, I forget what it was at. It might've been like five eighty. I, I don't yeah, remember, like but he like, I, I could tell just watching the video. I'm like, Ooh, that was really tight. Right. Cause like about probably like 70 feet out from takeoff. Like you could tell he, he saw it was tight. And he starts it. trying to chop it up. Yeah. And so he came down on it. 
He did not look stressed. He looked fine because he, again, because of the awareness, he knew. He knew he, knew he, he was tight. He, he just knew he was tight. We're going to adjust. We're going to move back. Got this. Easy, clear, next ball. Yeah. Where, listen, I watch other world championships and Olympics where a dude that should win does something like that. And, and also, they, yeah. And then they start, you know, because they're not as aware as a Mondo. Yeah. You know, they kind of just like, they get stressed and, then all like, you know, oh, they get nervous and, and then we they talk about perform. the mental stuff, you know, and then they can't perform. So the more aware you are, the more prepared you are, those things don't matter. Um, again, thanks everybody for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I hope it's helpful. Um, if you have any comments or questions, we'd love to help. Please email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe on our YouTube channel, Apex Vaulting. It's The Real Apex Vaulting on Instagram, and it's Apex Vaulting on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, thanks again. Please share this with someone. And thanks, Rob. Of course. Anytime.